for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by David McGettigan. David and I had a good in-depth conversation about why people get stuck in their pain cycles and more importantly, what they can do to break out of it, how they can feel empowered to break out of it. So whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this conversation highly valuable. So let's tune in. David, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you for having me, Brian. You're welcome. I'm excited to talk with you. I was connected to you through someone else who's been on my podcast before. Mm -hmm. Um, And when we connected, I really love the the people you're working with and the perspective you take behind it. Um, Before we dive into all of that, though, just a little bit about um, to the listeners about who you are. Yeah, so David McGettigan, um, I run a business here in Ireland called David McGettigan Pain and Movement Specialist, um, and I primarily help people, I suppose, with ongoing pain, with chronic pain, um, who have kind of fallen through the cracks a little, so they've maybe bounced around from, uh, you know, different types of therapies or different types of practitioners, um, maybe seen some surgeons, some some, uh, specialists, and, you know, they're still looking for help. I help those people and I, I really love, love the work actually. Never feels like work when we actually love what we do, does it? No, not at all. Awesome. Um, well, let's dive right into kind of what you mentioned as far as you work with the people that fall through the cracks. Mm -hmm. Why are people falling through the cracks so often? It's a big question. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Lots of places Um, we can go with that. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I think, I think people struggle because if I dive into kind of the biggest reason, I think it's because most people, and I include therapists in this, as soon as they start to, you know, to work with someone who has pain, they automatically assume it's a structural problem um, and that it's related to injury and to damage. And of course that can be the case. You, if you pull your hamstring or if you sprain an ankle or break a bone, it clearly is. When pain starts to persist longer than the, the kind of healing time of the tissues that are supposedly injured or, or, or that are experienced in the area the person's experiencing the pain, um, it, I kind of view it, it's much more about sensitivity than tissue damage. And the message that the person always gets is that it's injury. So they're, they're kind of being directed down a road almost, maybe not intentionally, definitely not intentionally, but they're kind of directed down that kind of thought process and they automatically start to assume that their body is in a very bad way um, and that things can only get worse from here or that they're going to struggle to see a way forwards. So they'll try different types of therapy. And then during that therapy, they'll be told many, many things about their body that might not necessarily be true. Now, it might be the, the person that they've seen is their best explanation, or it might be what they've read on Dr. Google or what are some of the websites they'll see but it can all kind of um i suppose what i say implant or suggest to them that their body is beyond repair and that they're beyond help and and that they're going to really make they're going to really struggle to kind of get the help that they want so they end up kind of almost having this like a negative frame around what's happening for them um and they'll, they'll end up you know usually going through different types of treatments and not really getting the result. They might feel better for a short period of time. But I think when you, if the scene is always set to kind of, uh, for the nervous system to go for protection and to go for maybe creating a pain experience as part of protection, then that stuff has to be dealt with. And that's what I see in my clinic. 
uh, my clinics, sorry. Um, it's a, it's people who have a lot of pain, have had it for a long time on and off, or maybe sometimes continuously. And no one's ever sat down and asked them what they understand about their body or their pain. And, you know, that's a great starting point. So I think for, if, if that doesn't happen, then they kind of slip through the cracks and they maybe bounce around from practitioner to practitioner and get lots of kind of negative messages, unfortunately. Um, or maybe they create a negative narrative without realizing it about themselves, about their body. And none of that helps. None of that makes it easier. You know, that's a conversation I've gotten into with a colleague of mine several times as far as like the framework that we put around either or that a an injured person puts around their injury, whether it's because someone has said something to them, like we've all heard those stories of the doctors who are like, this is the worst, whatever that I've ever seen before. Like, yeah. how are you been standing? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> or just the, yeah, the mixed stories are not getting any stories at all. Um, and I yeah. think it just does. It just, I think it's hard for someone to even like know what to do when they're being told all these different things. Yeah, I, I thought that's a big thing. I think for a person in pain, if they get clarity, it takes away confusion, it takes away fear, it takes away worry, or it, it at least helps to take away some of that. And that makes a big difference when you start diving into the kind of, um, I suppose, the, the nervous systems, the threat perception and all that, that geeky stuff we could talk about if you want. Um, that that makes a big difference when they have confusion, when they have confusion, it's more likely to trend towards, um, I suppose maybe it's that negative survival slant that we all have. Um, they, they'll tend towards worry and doubt and anxiety, and it just doesn't help them in any way. So how can we start breaking down some of those, some of that confusion? Cause it's like you talk to 10 different people and you hear 10 different things and like, how do you really know who to even start to trust or who to listen to? Yeah, totally. That's, that's the challenge. Um, I mean, I know there are tons, like, I think every person who goes into a, a therapy or a, a helping profession has a good intention. So if it sounded like I was uh, pointing fingers there and I got, that's not what I'm, what I mean. I think the person is genuinely trying to help that person that's sitting in front of them. And I think there's a lack of maybe, uh, like a diverse education you can be a specialist or, or quite focused in one field and not depending on how you've been educated there um, their viewpoints and their biases their belief systems they can influence things tremendously so if you're the therapist who's then working with the client that client is getting kind of the continuation of that line of thought process so that's a problem for sure um, and I think for, for the person in pain they want to to kind of find someone who's actually going to listen more than tell straight away. Um, like, I mean, most of the people that I see, uh, I've had a, a fair few messages afterwards saying, you know, you might have been the first person that's actually sat down and asked me what I think is happening. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Yeah. So, so crazy. So yeah, if, if, if you start with that stuff and then actually let the person tell their story, um, if you have a decent knowledge base yourself, then you can kind of, I suppose, start to, to ask them questions and, and show them maybe a different perspective that, that might make more sense to them. Um, and I'm, it, it's not like you, I don't ever want to be, if I'm in, working with someone in the space of telling anything because that's not useful. Um, you know, if we can help the person to come to that conclusion themselves with a bit of guidance, then I think that's really powerful. 
Absolutely. Um, you know, n- none of us like to be told what to do, right? <laughs> like, Definitely we don't like not. to think we know what the answers to things. So, being is always I mean, better. <laughs> I mean, what, what from 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 my side when I'm listening to someone tell their story, um, it's amazing when you start to look into some of the research side of things and you look into you know, the common myths and misconceptions that there are about the body. It's amazing how many of them will come out in a conversation and that they've they've obviously heard those messages or they've read them somewhere um and i i always explain it really simply to someone when we kind of when they when they tell me that stuff and i almost kind of reflect it with reflect on it with them i'll often say that that's kind of how your nervous system is perceiving your body based on all of those understandings and i think when when someone starts to get that they go well actually it makes a lot of sense that it's you know that i might experience a lot of pain or that i might have a lot of restriction or protection happening um and it starts again bring a little bit of clarity to it and from there, we can we can start exploring what might be possible. Yeah. And I think that's huge. Just like you said, the whole listening factor, because how many I mean, we all know the we've all experienced a physician who it's like five minutes in and out. They never like haven't listened to us. It's just here's mm-hmm. this pill. Here's this scan that I'm going to have you do or whatever. Um, and yeah, I think. You know, we all know too, if we want more clarity around any situation in our life, like talking it out with someone tends to help. So same thing goes with the injuries. Like when you start verbalizing it and what you're feeling, it's like, I think you can make a lot more sense of what's going on with things too. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, for me, all of that is about, I suppose, trying to figure out where that person's at whenever I meet them. And then from there, we can figure out where they obviously want to go to, whether it's just to get out of pain or whether it's a particular goal that they have. And when you, when you get that baseline, I think, you know, what, I, what I'm always trying to bring across to them, if I hope I'm fairly successful, I hope at it, um, is that I want to ideally help that person to view their, their body as safe rather than potentially unsafe. Because when that's still a question, then it's still kind of setting the scene for a bit of protection, I think. So the more we can help them to understand that the human body is really robust, that it takes a hell of a lot of force to cause an injury, and, you know, like a lot of the clients I meet will, will have, had an, have had injuries in the past, but then maybe they wake up one Saturday morning and they've done nothing, but they're really, really sore. And they automatically assume they've got an injury. And this kind of, um, I suppose, non-structural uh, relationship with pain isn't really kind of understood by the general population. And I suppose I wouldn't expect them to. But when they start to understand that, you know, you can have pain without having any injury whatsoever, it starts to take away a little bit of the fear, I think. And that's important. And I think you just hit on something else, too, that like anyone who's been injured for or had pain, I should say not necessarily injured, but had pain for a long time. Any small little pain they start getting, whether it's in that area or somewhere else, is all of a sudden like catastrophizes. you know, it's a catastrophe and as I can spit out the word and it's just like, now what's happening to me. And this is like, it's just an automatic downhill situation rather than like, maybe this is nothing. Maybe I just hit my toe yesterday and don't remember it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, we obviously have a, a survival bias that, that, you know, from, from the nervous system perspective, you know, negative experiences are more strongly carried over to memory than a positive experience because there might be survival value in there. I mean, for an example, if I touch a hot stove and I burn my hand, 
if I don't learn something from that and transfer that across to memory, I might go tomorrow and do the same thing and burn my hand even further. So definitely there's that negative kind of slant that we have, which makes it more difficult. And at the same time, like you mentioned that that kind of um, spiral of thoughts that maybe start to happen. I call that the choo-choo train. Um, so making people, I, I find that making people aware of that stuff, that it's when you have pain, it can influence your perception. It can influence your thoughts, your thought process. And it may make you more likely to have that catastrophizing type thing going on. If you realize that that's your ticket to the choo-choo train, you've just strapped in and maybe you're on the track. If you can catch that and actually ask some good quality questions to yourself um, and maybe explore a little bit of movement to see how your body actually is, then it can really make a difference. You can get off the track at the next station instead of in way down the line sort of thing. Do you know? I like <laughs> well, that's that. the analogy I use. <laughs> that's awesome. All of, all of my uh, in-person um, appointments and telehealth appointments, they're all, there's a lot of analogies used to, to kind of make it simple. It has yeah, to be simple. Definitely helps. Always helps. Yeah. When we're starting to move again, like had pain for a really long time, just scared to even move, you know, that very guarded person. How do we even start to initiate movements that we've been either have been told are bad for us to do, or just subconsciously we've told ourselves are bad to do because they hurt. Yeah. So for me, if that's someone working on their own, it can be difficult because you don't have someone else as a reference point. You don't have another point of view to maybe bounce an idea off or to speak to somebody about it. Um, what I would say is if you are that person, if you could find out a little bit of information about how robust your body is and about how strong and well put together you are and how we last for almost a hundred years or run round about that, um, that should give you a little bit of comfort in the fact that if you have pain right now and if you're moving in a very, very slow or controlled or nice and gentle way, to, I suppose to put it that way, it's so, so, so unlikely that you're going to injure anything. You can definitely find out where your body might be a little sensitive, a little sore at the minute, but also movement can often help. So very gentle graded movement or even just gradual movement to test, test your own system out and find out what it likes, what it doesn't like right now is really important. I, I often, you know, if someone rings me up and they've had a flare up, I'll say, look, very simple. Let's get you to start breathing a little bit to, to hopefully bring that nervous system back out of that fight or flight space a little bit. Let's get you to maybe, um, you know, remind yourself that your body is, is capable, your body is strong and able and let's just figure out some small movements that you can do on a regular basis for the next couple of hours or the next day or two. And hopefully what we'll see is that will start to, I suppose, provide evidence of safety in movement. And once you start getting little bits of that, I think often your nervous system will start calming things down a little bit itself. And knowing that that time does usually sort most things out. Absolutely. You know? Now. That's what I would start with, yeah. Yeah. Um... So get diving into the science of it a little bit, obviously starting to move, realizing you can actually move and aren't having it like a ton of pain is very empowering for someone. Yeah. What's happening though, more on the neuro neurological level to like, what is the, what's happening with the body, the nerves to like, let it understand like, Oh, this is a, like this movement's okay for me to do. 
Yeah, that's that's really tricky. I, I'm not actually sure that anyone fully knows what's happening there. Um, first of all, I think if I was to put my my understanding on, I would say that when you provide input from an area that your nervous system is protecting right now, or there's a pain experience in that area, you can provide input that your system can has a chance to kind of appraise and say, well, maybe this isn't just as bad. But if you don't move, you don't get as much of that kind of chance or that opportunity. So I often would say to a person that, you know, it really is important to get a little bit of movement in and in a graded way. So if you can just start, if it's, let's say you can't walk because of pain right now, if all you can do is start, you know, even contracting, relaxing muscles and then starting to move your limbs a little bit. I mean, that's quite an extreme example, but if that's all you can do, then start with that. If that doesn't ramp your pain up, just keep, keep at that on a semi-regular basis and you should start to find that you can do a little bit more over time. So from the neuro side, I think, I think it's a perception thing, really. Um, for me, anyway, if your system is producing a lot of protection, then we have to give it evidence of safety. And I think that comes in the form of movement. It can also come in the form of hands-on treatment. It can also come in the form of words or whatever um, kind of means that you use. But I think that's what the, the key thing is. Let's take a quick break to talk about True Nutrition. True Nutrition is a supplement company. And yes, they do have the prepackaged bulk type performance supplements that a lot of companies have. But what I absolutely love about them are their customized options. You can get protein powder with a wide variety of types of protein in it and choose what flavoring you want on it. And along with that, throw in some different boosts to maybe help decrease your inflammation or improve your endurance, improve your recovery, really make it for what you and your body needs. And not only performance, they also have healthy food options as well. You can customize smoothies and oatmeal to really be what you want. So it's a very quick and easy breakfast option or even on the go option. So check out everything that they have at truenutrition.com. And if you use code GYF, you can save 5% on your order. And you can also check out all of my partnerships at getyourfixpt.com slash partners. And now back to our conversation. I love that you, you keep coming back to that word safety because it really, I feel it, it's... It's a great way to put it because like you said too, like we're always in that negative bias. We're always like, it's just what our brain does. It's, it's a protective mm -hmm. mechanism and that in anything we do, if we can find that safe area, um, like the body and brain is going to let you do it. Yeah. I mean, it might not even be in the area that's painful. It could just be a movement. That's let's say if your lower back is sore. If you can just go for a walk, of course, your back is involved in that, but you're not bending over. You're not doing stuff that you might think is harmful or potentially going to make things worse for you. Even just a simple walk around um, or a swim or something that you can do that, that moves you in general, that can provide evidence that things aren't necessarily ripped, torn or broken, to put it that way, because um, they're probably unlikely to be. Um, if you can do that on a semi-regular basis, despite pain, I think you can sometimes... I suppose, again, provide that evidence that, that things are okay, that things are not as bad as they may be seen and your system will start to calibrate for that. 
I'm curious on, on your take on it or where you, um, what you suggest with people, um, say they do have that pain, they're going for their walk. At what point is it kind of a, like potentially like unsafe if the pain increases or if they have pain at all, like, should we avoid doing things just because it hurts or if it doesn't necessarily increase, is it still okay for the body to, or does the body start to understand like this is an okay movement? Yeah. So when, when someone's asking me stuff like that, I always kind of go through a few questions with them and I will always say like, have you had a high speed, high load impact or, or movement, you know, a very, very high speed, like think like a very heavy fall or, or an accident or something like that. Have you had one of those lately? They'll usually say probably not. Um, you know, have, if you haven't had that, have you had a history of having pain in this area? And if you do, then okay. Do you worry about this? And, and I'll kind of just ask them a few questions to start to help them to, to kind of come to the conclusion themselves, hopefully one way or the other. Yes, I potentially have injured something and I have to be careful or no, maybe this is, you know, a little bit of a flare up of symptom. And when they can understand that it's maybe more of a flare up, let's say than an injury, then they know that maybe their structure hasn't changed that much. So when that's the case, then we can start them, um, you know, with a little bit of safety, it can so safe in the knowledge that they can move a little bit. And if we can get that starting to happen, usually they'll start to make good progress. Where do you start to break things down for people when like they come to you telling you like, or showing you the scans that show such that quote unquote detrimental damage to an area. Um, and you know, most likely a Physician at some point has told them like, this is horrible. We need to fix this. Yeah. How do you start breaking the things down or helping them understand like this might not be like as detrimental as you think? Yeah. So the, the first thing that I always ask, and I don't think I've heard, I think I've heard maybe oh, four or five people say this to me. Um, I always ask them if they were given a baseline to compare against. So if you've had a scan and there's all sorts of findings and there's always going to be findings because it's detailing your anatomy from a, a radiology lens, right? Um, if you don't have a baseline to compare that against either yourself or, and probably actually, um, norm, what's normal for people of your age and your kind of uh, gender, um, if you don't know what that is, then how do you have a reference point to judge those scans on? And I suppose that's the starting point. Um, I wouldn't say I, I have all the knowledge in the world in that way. And I have taken a bit of time to kind of familiarize myself with that. So, you know, if someone comes in with some degenerative changes at a disc or at a, a joint, um, and you know from your own self-study that that's actually quite common. It's actually, it happens to people who have pain. It happens to people to, who don't have pain. Um, if the person never hears that information, again, they're going to automatically assume that this is a big issue. So I always start there and ask them if they've had that kind of baseline um, to compare against. And if they haven't, I'll say, like, would you be interested in finding that out? And we'll have a chat about it. And I suppose when you, when you place any piece of information within a wider context, you get a better appreciation for what that is rather than just a piece of information. Um, and that, I suppose, when, when you're looking at kind of pain, I think it's the meanings that are made based on the information that you're told about your body that really drive the responses in your system. So if that meaning changes because you now have context around your information, then I think it's, I think it's a uh, very liberating for people. 
Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that too. Um, it's kind of circling back to the beginning, like it's just such a psychological thing that happens when we're told negative things about our pain versus I won't say positive things about our pain, but just the, like, this isn't as bad as you think type comments. And, um, just to see like the difference of recovery responses between those two individuals is pretty fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it it totally, like, I I think it's changing. I think it's slowly, but surely changing. There's loads of people out there who are, um, I mean, championing the human body and championing what, you know, a good positive message for someone despite pain or, or that has pain. Um, I think it is changing, but look, it's going to take years. I think, I don't know, I can't remember the name of the research paper, but there is a research paper that states that it takes, I think on average 17 years for a piece of information to come from a researcher to a clinician. And then from there to the general public, God knows how long. Yes. So, I mean, it, it's going to take time. I think the more people that are, are are sharing those types of messages and the more that you know therapists are exposed to them the more you know we can then obviously pass on more useful information or more kind of back to that word safe information to to the people we're working with you know um it is an issue like um it's, it's i wish it was different yeah definitely um it's just going back to the, to the research thing. I, yeah, I can't remember what the exact delay is, but it, it's definitely a pretty, pretty long delay there. And it's one of the things that always kind of frustrates me is they want, um, like they want us to all be as far as like evidence-based practitioners and that sort of thing. But it's like, our evidence is like 10 years delayed <laughs> by the time we get it. And yeah, it's like, hard. and we see results with other things in the clinic. Um, and we're actually working with people and it's just, it's kind of hard sometimes to be that evidence-based clinician when everything is so delayed or or maybe not on point. Totally. totally. I think, I think as well, like you have to read your clients. Um, I mean, I could talk about that side of things for an hour with someone um, and they might be sitting there going, what is this guy talking about? He doesn't have a clue. And And that's my, that's on me to read that person. And, and I suppose, probe gently with some questions during the treatment or during during the session before I go into any of that sort of stuff and you know it usually takes a couple of exposures for anyone to actually grasp some of that anyway so um no it is about reading people I mean I will often drop some small little bits and pieces with that and get on with some treatment and some movement and get them going and and obviously give them a positive message when I feel it's safe to do so and, and get them moving because ultimately you want to put the person back in control um because if we don't get that, then, you know, are we really, really helping them? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Empowerment is such a huge thing. Totally, totally. I mean, once you can start to, I suppose, transform that message that person has about their body or that narrative they have about their body and then get them doing things for them, giving them tools and, you know, strategies to manage maybe a flare up if it happens or, or to manage something like that. And you put them back in control and they, they fly with that stuff. Mm -hmm. People really, really fly with that stuff. It's really cool to see. And it's really cool to see too, the change that can happen as far as um, like an injury might not even be, or they might get pain later in the different area, but it's like, they've learned now how to read their body, how to assess things, how to just be like, Oh, well, let's test out this X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. and see what that does to get rid of this and it's pretty cool to to see people learn that how to do that absolutely absolutely i mean 
you know, I can think of probably plenty of client stories and, and it's when you don't see them for maybe two or three or four years. And I, I recently sent a few emails to some clients just to check in, just to say hello. Um, I hadn't seen them in a long time and I got so many emails back saying, oh, I've been brilliant. I haven't, you know, you know, I've got tools that I can use. I know how to check in with myself. I know how to, I know how to stretch myself or move myself to, to help myself when I need it. And that's the game. That's the aim of the game. Like. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Totally. Well, anything we've covered a lot of kind of gone a lot of different directions um, today so far. Is there anything um, that kind of you do, you see on a regular basis that we haven't discussed that you feel be really important to bring up for people? Yeah, I think, um, I think the, 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 we've kind of touched on the whole person approach, but I think people don't really get their movement assessed well. Um, and I think that's a big thing. If you have a sore knee, for example, or a sore hip, if I don't look at how your spine moves or how your foot moves or how your neck moves, then I could be missing a massive part of the picture. And for example, that hip might be shifted into and getting irritated because I can't close space on my neck on the other side. And I'm just not able to get my mass over here and, and do that thing. So I think it's movement is a massive piece just getting treatment on a treatment table and not seeing a person move or maybe having a way to understand that as a therapist is is, is a significant drawback I think um and I'm really really fortunate that I, I work with some really good people um that, that taught me all that stuff so it's it's something that I will never fa- uh, tire of of watching so when I'm in an airport or something I, I can't switch it off I'm just like how are you doing that that's amazing <laughs> But I think movement movement is one of them. Um, if we can help a person to understand that everything in their body is completely connected, obviously it is anatomically and all that sort of stuff, but that you know an old neck injury could be the reason that your knee hurts right now because that moving that knee or moving that knee well might lead to your pelvis and your spine and your shoulder and your neck actually moving. And that might be the thing your system still might be working around a little. I think movement's really important if we get a good solid overall view, it, it makes a big difference. Yeah. And I think that's something that is highly missed. You know, a lot of times it's like the knee hurts, the look of the knee, maybe the hip and the ankle, you know, so just, just very local. Um, very rarely do you find someone who does assess that full body to figure out like what, what is truly causing this? Yeah. I mean, I, I remember, you know, like I've seen some, pretty bonkers things in clinic um changes with people which is, is always lovely I remember uh i used to help the guys with anatomy in motion the the the, the movement um, of course i used to help them deliver some of their seminars and we were on a course where a guy had had a, a surgery he's a chiropractor um he had a surgery in his wrist and he was told he would never regain full supination with his wrist and on his same side foot he had his fifth metatarsal rolled underneath so it was like a really weird kind of setup and we un- unrolled that and got him moving and, you know, did some work with him. And next thing he came back and he went, I've got full range of motion. And you can trace things through the system sometimes in really, really bizarre ways. Um, but, you know, a lot of times, if, well, if you don't have a movement lens for that, you're never going to catch it. You're never going to get that person to, to experience movement there again. And it might be that that's not painful, but for that guy, it was a big limitation. So stuff like that's really, you know, fascinates me to be fair 
Oh, absolutely. And I think some of that does also come down to, I mean, we should be checking movement regardless, but I think some of it also comes down to how much, once again, how much time we're spending with a person. Cause like we should, even though the person doesn't think that injury 10, 15 years ago was relevant, it's highly relevant to how the body's moving today. And I think a lot of that stuff is also missed when we're um, talking with people. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I always will, will, will kind of have a little piece where I'll explain to people, look, I ask for all your history right back to, to very, uh, very young or very um, early years, because it might not be, you know, injured right now, but it still might be moving around or your body might be moving around that thing. And that might still, you know, have quite an influence on what's happened today. So people are probably bored of me asking questions. I ask so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's, it's for a, for a purpose, obviously. I think though, like in my opinion, and they may think differently, but just to have someone ask those questions and spend that much time with them though, I think is more valuable than anything to them. Yeah. I think, I think if you're, you're genuinely um, interested in understanding the bigger picture with someone, then you have to ask that stuff. I mean, I've been the therapist who popped you on a table manipulated massaged and you know give you a couple of stretches and out the door again i've been that guy years ago maybe a decade ago um and i had more questions than answers because i was taught what i was taught in university and i mean they they were educating me as, as they saw fit that was great and it didn't just work as well as i thought it was going to um when i got out into the real world and that was just so many questions so it's kind of led me on this meandering path towards how I work now um, and I mean I wouldn't change it because you get such a, a big kind of overall view of the person and help them to really move forwards hopefully <laughs> yeah right you know you know I think it's tough um like I've definitely changed the way I practice the past several probably 10 years myself I'm like I understand they have to teach certain things in school, but I just feel like there's this disconnect between what they teach in school and what actually has to happen when we're in the clinic to actually, yeah. you know, help someone get better. And, and I don't know how to improve it. I don't know if there is a way to improve it, but um, I, I just, I think there is some sort of disconnect that's happening between school and what really needs to happen in the clinics. Yeah. It's, it's, it, that, that, that's that education kind of point again. I think, I think it's, um, the real world is obviously really different than university or than school. So I don't know, maybe bringing people in from different kind of experiences or different, different kind of clinical backgrounds to chat about how they approach things or to give people, give maybe new grads a flavor of what, what you could do, what path you could go down, I suppose might be useful. But again, I mean, this is where evidence-based practice probably does uh, limit things a little because if it's not studied from an evidence base, it's probably never going to be considered for something like that. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's just the, the, the system, I suppose, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Which is why we just got to go learn more stuff. <laughs> yeah. I think exposing yourself to new ideas is always useful. And if you, if you can find something that really helps people and that empowers them at the same time, you're probably onto a decent, decent strategy, do you know? And I think the empowerment part is, you know, we've said that several times. I think that's a huge part because, you know, any, any clinician can do the hands-on work to calm an area down. Mm -hmm. But if that person doesn't know how to calm that area down when they're at home doing dishes or playing with their kids, then, 
you know, I, I don't really think we're doing people a service. Yeah. Do you know what? I, I actually think people don't necessarily want to be fixed, even though they might come in saying that they want, they want someone to, to help guide them. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, if they come in and say, just fix me, I'm like, well, I can't really do anything. It all happens inside you. So in your nervous <laughs> system, so I can definitely help guide you. Um, no, it, it, I think guide the guide position as the therapist is probably where you want to sit. Um, because like you say, if, if you don't leave them with some tools to use or strategies to use, you know, they're, they're still going to be running into the same problem down the line. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Awesome. Well, any last, before we close out, any last thoughts for today? Thoughts for today. Um, I hope the world settles down a little bit. It's a bit mental at the minute. Um, and I hope that people who have pain that is ongoing, um, I hope that they, if they get the chance to listen to this, for example, I think hopefully it will be useful for them um, and that they, they seek you know, someone who leaves them in that empowered place and that gives them tools and strategies to start helping themselves because realistically, you know, you're with a, a, a PT or a therapist or a physio or whatever it is for maybe an hour, maybe two hours, or, you know, even a week, if that's, I think that's too frequent, but maybe, you know, very, very short space of time. You've obviously got 23 other hours in the day and then the rest of the week as well that you're on your own. So anything you can do to learn to help manage your system better is important. And it would be to seek people who I suppose give you that. Awesome. Yeah, you just nailed something that we hadn't discussed yet, which is super important to bring up that whole fact that, yeah, when you do see a therapist, it's maybe an hour at a time and there's plenty more hours in the life that you need to know how to move better. (laughs) Yeah. And just, you know, just static stretching can be useful, but it's probably not also going to get the job done. There's more to it than that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes whole nother rabbit hole we could go down if we wanted to oh stop (laughs) (laughs) all good well david if someone wants to follow you find out more about you or just reach out to you where can they find you yeah so my uh my instagram um is at pain and movement specialist um my website is www.davidmcgettiganclinic.com um and i'm on youtube i'm on tiktok i'm on all those lovely things on Facebook as well. So it's all David McGavigan pain and movement specialist. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This was really informative for a lot of people. Yeah, it was lovely. It was lovely speaking with you and thanks for having me. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode of Highly Functional and had some great takeaways from it. Now, if you are dealing with your own foot and ankle issues and would love to get back to running and racing again, I highly encourage you to check out runwithhappyfeet.com to find out what it looks like to work with me. Or if you want to do things even faster and take a deep dive into your specific situation, then book a free call with me at runwithhappyfeet.com book dash call. And finally, if you know someone who would benefit from the information provided today, I would love for you to share this podcast with that person. Now go out and have an awesome day.